Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and the 2017 NFL Draft has officially come and gone as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on a very special episode number 100. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with NFL Films senior producer Greg Cosell, because who else can I have on this show for episode number 100? A bit of a flashback episode. If you're a diehard listener of this show, you'll remember that one year ago, Greg and I took in the start of round four of the NFL draft, gave you a peek inside what it's like just watching the draft with the two of us just sitting in the room during Eagles Draft Central and taking in the scenes and all the sights and sounds and what it means for teams as they continue to build their rosters. Well, we brought back the same exact structure for this year as Greg and I chat about some of the biggest topics surrounding the Eagles and roster building throughout the NFL draft this past Saturday. Next up, we've got Scouting Report, who I did this week on a player that I was really fired up about about when the Eagles selected him on day three of the draft. And we're going to follow it up, the triumphant return of two technique, where I caught up with Eagles defensive line coach Chris Wilson to talk about the addition of Derek Barnett and what he saw from him on film that helped him stand out amongst this group of pass rushers. But before we get into the rest of that, let's not waste any more time. Let's go back in time and look at the start of day three of the NFL draft. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me for this very special 100th episode of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, we're here on day three of the draft. We did this last year, and everybody loved it. It was one of everyone's favorite podcasts last year. So I said, you know what? It's the 100th episode. Let's do it again. Let's go back to what we did last year. It's day three. The fourth round of the draft is getting ready to start. The Eagles pick 12th in this round, so we have about 11 picks to really kind of hash some things out. Let's talk first about day two of the draft. And if you haven't checked out some of the Eagles Draft Central breakdowns that we did uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, make sure you go back and check those out. But for those that didn't yet, let me get your initial thoughts on the additions of Sidney Jones and Razul Douglas and how they fit in the structure of Jim Schwartz's defense. Well, let's just start with Sidney Jones, who – Obviously, when I watch Sidney Jones on tape, same with you, you don't know where he's going to get drafted. I thought, as I said yesterday when we did our breakdown of Sidney Jones, I thought that the tape told me that he was the best corner prospect in this draft. Obviously, the injury, and that's why he was available in the second round. But let's assume he can come back at full health. I think Sidney Jones, as I said, best corner prospect in this draft, the skill set to play press, the skill set to play off coverage. He can play man. He can play zone. To me, he's a scheme fit in any coverage concept. And what Jim Schwartz did last year, so let's assume it will be similar this year, they split man and zone close to 50-50. So when they played with a single high safety, they almost always played man. It was highly, highly predominant. When they played with split safety, meaning two deep safeties, they were highly predominant zone. So it's, it's, you need to be able to play both effectively. Every coach in this league wants corners who can line up and play press because that is essential to play corner in this league. And Sidney Jones 
really can do that, and he can do it in two ways. He can do it by being physical at yep. the line of scrimmage, and he can also do it with his smoothness of movement, what we call mirror and match. So he can play press really any way you want. Yeah, and then you have Razul Douglas who has that length, that ability to be physical, but played so much off coverage yeah. at West Virginia, he also has the ability to play both. And those physical traits for just a one-year starter, I think he's very, very intriguing in that one year as a starter. He was an All-American. He was one of the, yep. the leaders in the country in interceptions. And he's got lots of traits. Let me ask you this question. Were you surprised, or when, you know, let me ask you this way. Did you expect that going into the draft that the Eagles would wait until day two to address the cornerback position? Or did you think, you know what, they, they need so much help in the secondary did you almost think that there was a chance they could force something in round one at the 14th overall pick to at the cornerback spot? Uh, just what were your thoughts going into the weekend? My feeling was that the Eagles needed to come out of the entire draft with two corners. Now, we can sit and debate where they should have taken those corners. That, that depends on, on a team's board now. Yeah. Uh, we know that Sidney Jones was the number one rated corner for the Eagles in this entire draft, which I agree with, so I like the pick. Yep. Uh, so for me, it was just a matter of they needed to come out with two corners because in all honesty, and, and, and we're trying to be honest and fair, you could argue that the, their cornerback position before this draft was depth-wise near the bottom of the NFL. So they, need, they needed corners. Hey, and maybe these guys are not day one starters, but the point is you need competition at the position. You needed more bodies and you needed more talent at the position. So they had to come out of the entire draft, in my view, with at least two corners. Now they've done that. Yeah, and I think when you look at the addition of Derek Barnett and what he can be up front for the Eagles, the, a quality pass rush does a lot to help a secondary. And so oh, I think yeah. when, you, when you've got that, and with the emphasis that Jim Schwartz puts on that front four to be able to get pressure all alone without additional blitzers, I think the, the, using that asset on a pass rusher and then taking care of the corners on day two, I think was a, and obviously you got to go by the board, but I think that that was a really good way to kind of attack this draft. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not profound, but pass defense is a function of both pass rush and pass coverage. And we saw with Jim Schwartz last year, and again, let's assume he does the same thing because in his past he did blitz more, but last year relative to the NFL, the Eagles were not a high-percentage blitz team. They pretty much relied on the four-man pressure. They would have the occasional blitz, selective blitz, based on down and distance and field location and personnel, but they were not a high-percentage blitz team. So when you're relying on your four-man rush to do that, then you need, again, it's not a matter of sacks. Sacks are, are everybody talks about sacks, but it's a matter of speeding up the quarterback making him throw before he wants to, or depending on the quarterback you're playing, making him move. And if the quarterback's a pocket quarterback, then you get that guy totally out of rhythm. So, yes, getting Derek Barnett, and I think they feel pretty good about the fact that they can line up Barnett and Cox on the same side and they can cause some issues. You know, see, what, what you get then is, and this is why it's so important in the NFL, is what you get then is you get a sense that you will understand then what teams will do from a pass protection mm. standpoint and then you break down that pass protection with what you do schematically. And I think that's the critical piece. Yeah, I'm excited as well about the, the nickel sub-package because uh, I think in a lot of scenarios you're going to see Vinnie Curry slide inside. You've got yep. Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham uh, on the outside with Fletcher Cox. I, I think that can be pretty formidable. So I think that will yeah. be very fun to watch this year. Let me, let's take a step back and just look at this draft as a whole as the Packers now are officially on the clock with the first pick here in the fourth round. Um, when you look at this cornerback group, and which is 
probably the deepest that right. I've ever watched. I don't know where it ranks for you, but it, when you look at this cornerback group, knowing how the position is played and how defenses utilize those players, was it tough for you throughout this pre-draft process to look at all of these players in a vacuum and try and pick, uh, pick and match you know, who are the, with these players would fit this scheme, these players would fit that scheme. How did you approach it this year? Yeah. Uh, and did it change at all because of how much talent there was and how close well, they were? For me, because I do so much NFL, obviously, with my matchup show, and for seven months I'm basically focused solely on the NFL, so I see what teams do in the league. Whenever I look at players, and, and cor- we're talking corners, what I'm thinking about as I'm watching them are really two things, just traits, attributes, and then how they can be utilized and deployed in the NFL. What's the best way they can be scheme adaptable? So you never look at them in a vacuum, for me anyway. So to me, when you watch these corners, I'm thinking, okay, what kinds of, of defensive coverage concepts can they play effectively in? What kinds of teams then would they work best? You know, what we've seen a lot more in the league is we've seen a lot of man coverage in the last number of years. Mm. You know, whether it's cover one, which is single high man, or whether it's two man. A lot of teams play two man, and if that's a predominant coverage concept for you, your corners, that's a little different set of traits for a corner because corners can undercut routes in two man coverage. They don't have to play really sort of over the top of it. Or worry about that, yeah, right. particularly when you're playing outside the numbers. So when you're playing two man, your corners don't necessarily have to be great man to man corners because they can undercut routes. Let me ask you this question because looking at it, we talk about the cornerback position. Let's look at the safety position. Yeah. And we've seen 11 go in the first three rounds. What does that mean for you in terms of how teams deploy players at that position, staying along the same lines as the cornerback discussion uh, and the points you just made there? That speaks to the changing nature of the NFL, Fran. The fact is, you used to hear years ago, oh, you could get safeties in the fourth and fifth round. But now, with the proliferation in the NFL of 11 personnel, meaning one back, one tight end, and three wide receivers, and the fact that these tight ends now very often are detached. I mean, what you see in the NFL very often now with 11 personnel is that single tight end that's on the field. He lines up split as the single receiver to the boundary. Especially when you look at the tight ends in this class and how they will further impact that. Correct. So now what safeties need to be able to go outside and match up man-to-man in coverage to athletic tight ends. So the safety position, just as a response in some ways to what offenses in the league do, the safety position has really increased in importance. And if you speak to defensive coordinators, as I have, they'll tell you, hey, if I don't have safeties that can do multidimensional things and cover, then I'm limited in what I can do defensively. And that's where the whole concept of scheme adaptability comes into play. You know, it's one thing to have great philosophical platitudinous discussions about, oh, safety's not important, you can get them in the fifth round. That's great. And then talk to defensive coordinators, and they tell you, uh-uh, I can't do stuff if I don't have that kind of safety. Well, you know, all you have to do is just look at the, at the 11 that, were go- that went off the board. I mean, you could probably count on one hand, and you probably won't even need five fingers on that right. one hand, how many of them were, are those traditional, you know, quote-unquote box players. I right. Mean, you look, Malik Hooker, Jamal Adams, Jabril Peppers, Buda Baker, Josh Jones, I think, in a sense, maybe. Yeah, but, he, but, but, but he he's also very athletic. Exactly. So, you right. know. He tested yeah. through the roof. Yeah. 
Marcus May, uh, who played in the slot last year as a junior. Right, for, right. When, uh, Keanu Neal uh, was the starting safety for the Gators. Marcus Williams is a single high player. Justin Evans is a high player. Melifon, who a lot of people saw as a corner. John Johnson played in the slot. Delano Hill, right. I guess, may be that guy. I mean, all these guys have Delano that Delano Hill lined up over the slot at Michigan. Yep. But even, even if you go back to last year, the Keanu Neal, you know, when he got drafted in the first round by the Atlanta Falcons with Dan Quinn, and everybody pretty much said to him, said that, oh, he's, a, you know, he's their camp chancellor. But the thing is, even that player now, I mean, Keanu O'Neill, when they played the Kansas City Chiefs this past year, week 13, Keanu O'Neill had to go outside and cover Travis Kelsey, yep. you know, man-to-man outside. And he did that, it with Zach Ertz as well. He did it with Zach Ertz, yep. correct. So that, no matter how you see a safety, Fran, even if he's quote-unquote a box safety, I think that those specific categorizations of only box, only deep, they're kind of getting a little blurred now. Safeties have to be, I don't, it's not so much interchangeable, it's multidimensional. Do you look at it similarly with the linebackers? Because I think when you look at this safety class and the corner class, we talk about how deep it is and how talented it is. I think this linebacker class overall, and we're talking about those stacked off the ball right, linebackers, right. Uh, not as deep, not no, as overall not talented, a great not, a great, year, not yeah. a great group this year. So when you look at that as a whole, is that also going to impact how teams kind of look at you know what? We better get some of these guys early and off. We saw a yeah. run yesterday, uh, late day, th late round three. Yeah. A lot of linebackers went off the board. I, I expect that that was because it's not a great group. We're not going to see a lot of them go off the board today. Yeah, and and I think, again, you know, it's always easy to say when we sit and have these these great conversations, which you and I could talk about this stuff all day. Well, we have been, and we have been correct, years, correct. Yes. It's always easy to say, oh, the games change. You know, it's it's a more of a spread game. It's eleven personnel. It's a pass game, but the reality is, you still have to line up and stop the run. Okay, you still in the NFL have to line up and stop the run somewhere along the line because if you're if you're playing a team that on first and ten lines up with base personnel and a base formation, if you're giving up five, six yards every time you're in that situation, then it's going to be very difficult to play defense. You're always playing behind schedule. So even though teams might only line up with, you know, one back or two backs, 30% of their snaps, if they do it on first down and you can't stop that on defense, you've got a problem. So there's always going to be a place for stacked inside linebackers who are run defenders, even if they only play 25% of the snaps. That's why you saw Raekwon McMillan go off the board. That's why I believe he was the last pick of the third round yesterday, Kendall Beckwith from LSU. These are those kinds of linebackers. They're base defense linebackers. I guess the question then becomes, and it'll be different from team to team, are they worth that value of a day two selection? You know, are you gonna t are you gonna look at a Kendall Beckwith and say, you know what, he is better than let's say any of these receivers, any of these versatile corners, well, any of these dynamic running backs that can do a lot of different things. That becomes a team by it team issue. Team by team. You know, it's very look, if you're in, a, you know, we were having this conversation this morning over breakfast. If you're playing in the AFC South and you're the Indianapolis Colts and you're gonna play the the Tennessee Titans that line up with a run game with base personnel, the, the Jaguars that now have Leonard Fournette, the Texans that have start their offense with the run game. So if you're the Indianapolis Colts, if you cannot stop the run in your base defense, it's going to be a long afternoon for you. Yeah, and you mentioned breakfast. I think it will give uh, the listeners a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. 
You were very much looking forward to the breakfast spread this morning. Uh, uh, what was the uh, the number one thing that you were looking forward to when you showed up here on Saturday morning? Bagel, lox, and cream cheese. Yeah, that's uh, talking that's with that's you is, is a way second here. <laughs> the bagels, lox, and cream cheese that was number one on my list. All right, so yeah, we have two players now that have gone off the board, both from the Big Ten. Uh, like this kid, Jaleel Johnson, Jaleel tackle from Iowa. Yeah, Jaleel Johnson goes with the second pick to Minnesota, and the first pick was Vince Beagle from Wisconsin. Which kind of Floyd. They talked after the season that he may have an injury that he may not be able to come back from. It's a shame. Which is a shame because the kid really, was a really good player. Yeah. Great kid, too. He's a Philadelphia kid. But I think this pick in some ways tells you that maybe that's – that. They're very concerned about Sharif Floyd's future. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was I meant the very, the very first pick of the fourth round was Vince Beagle, the linebacker, yeah. the edge guy from, the, from Wisconsin. He went to Green Bay. He's a strong side linebacker. That's exactly what he is. Not a pass rusher. But he fits. See, again, now you go into scheme adaptability. Correct. Green Bay's base defense is a 3-4. Yep. Okay. Now, they played a ton of nickel, but still, their base, when Dom Capers, their D coordinator, starts in the first OTAs and he gets the defense out there, it's a 3-4. Yep. And Vince Beagle is... Almost your classic, you couldn't draw it up a whole lot better. He's your classic 3-4 strong side outside linebacker. He's yeah. not going to play, you know, assuming he makes the team and all that good stuff. He's not going to play in their sub packages. He's going to be a strong side outside linebacker in their base 3-4. That's what whenever I look at day three of the draft, and this is why I day three, we love, we love day one, you know, day two, there's always the best value. I love day three. So do I. Because day three, number one, that's where the best teams make their money. And uh, sorry, it yep. also speaks more now to scheme adaptability, which I love because yep. I'm an NFL guy. Yeah. So now guys get picked based on how teams see them fitting with their team. Not that they're disregarding their board, obviously, sure. but they think more about, okay, we need players that now we, we see a spot for these players. You know, whether it's a guy they pick who's a dime safety, you know, that might not mean a lot to people. They, a team who plays dime as their foundational sub-package, they drafted a, a guy they see as a dime safety. Yep. That's an important player to them. Well, that's why I think that day three is so interesting because, to me, it's a day of buts. It's like, you know, this guy is, can do A, B, C, but he can't do X, Y, Z. Well, that, and, and that's, that's why, why they're, they're being here. Pay, exactly. That's why that's, we're here. That's right. why they're here. Right. So it really comes down to one of two things for me on day three. Either a guy's got outstanding traits, and it might be one, it might be out, one outstanding trait right. that sets himself apart, or like you said, he fits an exact role. The team has right. a plan, and he's going to play. You know what, Vince Beagle, he's going to play first and second down for us. He's going to cover the tight ends every once in a while. He's not going to be a sub-package pass rusher, but here's his defined role, and that's what day three is all about. And every player being picked in, in this, and I think fans need to understand this, is going to have some strengths, but clear weaknesses yep. that need to be coached or need to be worked around, you know, or, or not used in that way that showcases his, his deficiencies. Sure. So we're now at the point clearly in the draft where guys are going to have some deficiencies. That's why they're in the fourth round now. Yeah, and I think really the, the big thing, looking at the Eagles, over the last few years, you know, you go back to, you know, three, four, five years ago, they weren't drafting well on day three. Right. And then you look at last year, the first year, uh, with Doug Peterson and his staff, and you have Howie Roseman back in, in charge of the draft room, and you saw some quality picks on day three, guys that made impacts as rookies. You saw uh, Big V, who, who yep. came in. Jeff Stoutland highlighted him as a guy that would be able to come in and play in this scheme. He did that. Jalen Mills came in as a seventh-round rookie and was able to make uh, a big impact on defense and play a lot of snaps. 
Uh, you look at Wendell Smallwood. He had a defined role. And you, you go on and on. Very talented players uh, were found on day three last year. And I think that's what, that'll be the objective again this year with five picks on day three. And, and particularly on the defensive side of the ball, Fran, where now you play a lot of players in different packages, I think that becomes absolutely critical. And that's why day three becomes so important. Because now you get a player who you see, hey, he's only going to play in this package. But you know what? He's going to make that package better. Yep. And that's, that's what day three is really about. So we just saw D.D. Westbrook go off the board. And, yes. this, and there's a number of different ways I can go with this pick, okay? Because a lot of reasons why D.D. Westbrook, who I think has tape of a day two player, fell to day three. Obviously, he's a little bit on the smaller side. He's, 180, he's 178. He's, he's under 180, 180 pounds. So he's a little yeah. bit slight. He's got the off-field issues that he's teams got, are working through. He's he got medical. Yeah, those teams are kind of working through all yeah. that stuff. And so there's two, two ways I want to go. And I'll let you decide. This is like a create-your-own-adventure book, if you remember this from when you were a kid. Would you rather talk about the impact that a player's size has in terms of transitioning from college to the NFL? Because you can go a number of different positions and how size can impact a guy's right. projection. Or, kind of on the outside, how little we know and understand about a player's off-the-field issues and really how that impacts a guy's stock and whether or not he's going to go high, he's going to go low. And that's one of the more undersold aspects of the whole draft process to me. Well, you and I certainly don't know all the off-the-field exactly. issues. Exactly. That's why that, I think it's so intriguing. That's the thing. Teams do. Yes. Look, teams, there are teams that hire former FBI agents to research some of these guys. They know. There's, there's few stones unturned. But look, you talk about D.D. Westbrook. Because there's an explosive element to his game, normally receivers like that yep. go earlier in the draft. Yep. Because even though he's 178, you could, you could look at D.D. Westbrook and say, hey, if he reached his potential, could he be a T.Y. Hilton type of receiver? Yep, sure. T.Y. Hilton maybe is, what, 180? Yep. You know, so you, just the mere fact that he's 178 doesn't preclude him from being a quality NFL wideout. When you look at the T.Y. Hilton's or the John Browns, you know, obviously sure. John Brown had a medical issue last year, but you know he's a smaller receiver he as well. Day three, right? Right. Yep. Right. So those guys can play, but now you're, the concern is, and you hate to use the cliche, but it's true: the whole idea of being a professional, showing up, having accountability, having reliability—it's—it's it's the—it's you know. It's the able thing. You know, everybody needs to be accountable, reliable, dependable. You know, that's, that's what I think teams were very concerned about with the D.D. Westbrook. Well, I think that's one of the things that gets very much undersold during this whole draft process that people kind of forget about on the outside, uh, media, fans, us, is it's a job interview when the, with these players going through. And it's just, just like you or I, if we were to go and interview for a job, or if we're on the other side of the table and someone is interviewing for a job with our place right. of employment. Right. There's a person-to-person -person relationship. You know, these coaches and these executives, when they meet with these players, they're going to come away with a meeting and say, I really like that kid. Or conversely, I don't know if he's going to be a great yeah. fit here. Regardless of what I saw on tape, meeting the kid, I don't know if he's going to mesh well with our coaches. I don't know how, if he's going to mesh well with our locker room. And you know what? We're just going to decide that he's not the guy for us. You and know, so, it plays such a big part and, of the whole process. And keep this in mind, which I'm not sure a lot of people think about. Because of the collective bargaining agreement, Players can't be with their teams as much as they used to be. Mm. So there's a fairly long period of time in the offseason where teams don't have much contact with their players. Yeah. And that's where I think you really find out about players when they're outside of the structure and the ritual of playing. And you don't want to go to bed every night as a head coach, as a GM, as an owner, and worry, you know, what is Fran Duffy doing right now? 
You know, I mean, it, you know, that's the problem. Right. Is you don't want to worry about that. Sure. Because the, what's the worst thing you can do is get that phone call. Oh, you know, Fran Duffy, you know, got picked up for a DUI. Or Fran Duffy was in a bar fight last night. You know, that's. I won, though. <laughs> How'd the other guy do? <laughs> 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 uh, but you know, you know that's that, that's the thing. And yep. it's not only not getting in trouble; it's because they can't be in the building with coaches yep. because of the CBA. It's what are they doing from a football standpoint to get better? Because they still, on their own, can watch tape. They still, on their own, can do research and all those things that are important to being better as a football player. Yeah. You know, so that's you know, w this obviously came off the DD. Uh, Westbrook selection, and we don't know D.D. Westbrook personally, no. but, you know, that's a reason a guy like that who can run, who has big playability, gets drafted in the fourth round and maybe not the second round. So this is a really interesting pick. Tedrick Thompson, I don't know yeah. if you watched the Washington oh, State, or the uh, Colorado him. safety, goes to Seattle. I mean, he's a perfect fit as that kind of ball-hawking backup to, to Well, you wonder Earl if there's Thomas. concerns there now about Earl, Earl Thomas, Thomas with the injury yeah. and, and the fact that Earl – as Talk great a play, yes. So now again, it's funny how we were coming off talking about the commitment to football and Earl Thomas. And Eagles fans certainly remember him. Uh, but yep. Earl Thomas, the best free safety in football, hands down for three, four years. You know, had the major injury, getting a little older. Is he committed to football? Legitimate questions. Because this kid, I think, even though he lined up all over for Colorado, I think as you probably project him in the NFL, you see him as a free safety. Yeah, and there, Would you there agree were, with that? Yeah, because there were some questions with me watching him, how committed he was to coming up and defending the run. And let me ask you this question. He did I mean, he did line up in the box a lot, so it's not as if he didn't play there. Oh, don't get me wrong. There were other players that I didn't feel like. To me, Marcus Williams was a guy that I thought was not very uh, right, right. was not very right. uh, amicable to, to contact near the line of scrimmage. But when you watch players at the safety spot, at the linebacker position, as a pass rusher off the edge, how does his ability to get after the quarterback or impact the passing game and coverage weigh against a guy's ability to defend the run? Do you do you automatically say, well, look? He may not be a great run defender. You're talking but about like a defensive line? Period. Period. Or a across the board on defense. Oh. Uh, do you I think that's based on position. Okay. So if it's a safety, like a, like a Thompson, are you, uh, is a, if a guy's not really a great run defender, are you more scared off of him in a vacuum? I, I think since it is position by position, I think when I'm looking at a corner, Fran, as long as I feel like he's competitive, yep. then I'm okay with it. Because let's face it, in this league, and look, I know the Eagles in particular because you and I have talked to coaches, Eagles coaches. We know how they value uh, competitiveness and toughness and playing with an edge at corner. But I think at the end of this day, you still have to cover people. Yep. If you can't cover well, but you're a good tackler in the run game at corner, you know, I, I don't think you're drafting corners because of the way they play the run. Sure. For the most part in this league. How do you feel about a pass rush? Then I think it comes down to scheme. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you're going to line up in Jim Schwartz's defense, which plays a lot of wide nine, you know, I think that the motto clearly is we're going to play the run on the way to the quarterback. So what you're looking for is physicality and competitiveness. But as far as being a great run defender as the number one priority, I would say that that's not the number one priority. Yeah, Barry, it's it's always interesting when we're watching players and it's January or it's December or it's early March and we don't know where these players are going yet and trying to project. You know, I'm watching players. I'm not thinking solely about them transitioning to the Eagles. I'm looking at them as, a, you know, in grand, grand scope. How do they That's project to the NFL? Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's always interesting to try and 
you know, not pigeonhole them into one role or another and try and look at them uh, from a grand um, scope. You know, it's funny. I, maybe not a lot of people listening to this will know this player, but you know who um, Tedrick Thompson kind of reminded me of the more I And I watched a lot of uh, Colorado games because they had the two corners as well. Sure. They actually had this linebacker who I kind of was intrigued by too, number 31. The, uh, uh, Kevin Davis? No, he was no. Colorado State. Kenneth Olub. Olubi, yeah, yeah. Olubi. Yep. He was, a, he was sure. an interesting guy. Yeah. But anyway, just um, uh, Tedrick Thompson kind of reminded me the more I watched of Tayshawn Gibson, free safety who was with Cleveland and then went to Jacksonville, to Jacksonville, who you wouldn't call a great athlete, but they were both very decisive as back-end players. When they saw it, they attacked it. I'm talking about in the past game. Yep. You know, they, they when he – and they had a very good feel for reading the quarterback. So even though neither one of those guys, Thompson or Gibson, let's say has Earl Thomas's skill set yep. in terms of movement, I, I thought that they still were they're good single high safeties. So we talked earlier about 11 safeties going off the board in the first three rounds. We see Tedrick Thompson go off in the fourth pick, and the fifth pick in the fourth round, Chicago takes safety Eddie Jackson from Alabama. Ooh, I did not see corner. as much as you did, so yeah. you'd have to comment but on But just him. in terms of the going back to those safeties that play yeah. the cornerback spot. Yeah, because uh, he, he was a corner early on. Start, he, yep. he, I think he went to Alabama as a corner. Went to Alabama as yeah. a corner. He started his first two years at corner yeah. uh, and made the transition to safety and missed a good chunk of the season yeah. due to a broken leg. But uh, when you have those safeties now that have corner skills and a corner background, does that automatically kind of raise him up for Without you? Question. Even if he didn't always you know, have that versatility and maybe he doesn't have as much experience at safety, that corner experience that offers a lot of value for you. Yes, I, and I think in the league it clearly does. Yeah. I think there's not a defensive coordinator in this league that would tell you that I, I don't really want a safety with great cover skills. You know, I think that that's, that really adds – value to a safety and and who knows maybe without the broken leg eddie jackson goes earlier i know you liked him yeah. i didn't get to see a, you I'm know a alabama had a lot of guys and jackson was unfortunately the guy that sort of fell through the the cracks for me i saw everybody else who came out on alabama's sure. defense in detail i just kind of lost jackson a little bit but i knew he came i knew he played corner uh and if he's healthy and you know oh and look and look who just went to the another, chargers another one another safety, another safety. Who, a guy who i find you know He's a guy that I watched and found really interesting, and I'm going to try to find my notes on him. So this is Rayshon Jenkins quick. from Miami. And it, Jenkins, to me, going to that defense with Gus Bradley, and now, we're, again, we're getting into scheme adaptability and the role he can play. Can he be Cam Chancellor down the road for Gus Bradley? Yeah, and I think a little more. When I say a little more, I don't mean he's a better player than Cam. Cam Chancellor in his role for three years or four years there may have been the best in the league. But, you know, when you deal with guys with this kind of size and, and movement traits, you know, these guys get drafted. You know, Jenkins is a big kid. He runs pretty well. I mean, he's a big athletic kid who moves well. These guys get drafted. Well, Greg, it's been uh, about 30 minutes we've been going, and it well, feels like Eagles it's been are, about 10. Are the Eagles are five picks away now. Once we, Yeah, we're five picks away, okay. so we'll be picking here in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, appreciate the time, as always, this here on the Eagle on the Sky podcast. We could go all day on we, this stuff. We could, yeah. and I'm sure people would want it to, and I'm sure we're going to get comments about it. But uh, appreciate the time, as always, here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle on the Sky podcast.
Great stuff from Greg. And again, you can follow him just like I do on Twitter at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That's one way to support the show, but the other is to go on iTunes or Stitcher and give us a rating or leave us a comment. So I want to give a shout-out to all of you out there that are doing that on all of our social channels and all of our podcast distribution offerings, especially on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you earlier that I would get to my notes on a player that I was really excited about for the start of day three of this draft, Matt Collins, the Eagles' fourth-round pick out of North Carolina. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so this week's scouting report, and I'm going to try and browse through over the next few weeks some of the Eagles' uh, late-round draft picks because we all know about the scouting notes on Derek Barnett and Sidney Jones and even Razul Douglas at this point. But some of the day three guys and then also some of the undrafted free agents once those are announced here in Philadelphia. But right now, let's go about with Mac Hollins. 6'4", even, 221 pounds. He's got great size for the position. I go back, last year he missed a good chunk of the season due to a collarbone injury. But you go back to 2015 when he was third team all-conference, he led the country with 24.8 yards per catch. I mean, he was a vertical deep threat with that size. He showed good ball skills. He's a former walk-on. I love former walk-ons because you see that ability uh, to work hard, and he shows what it it means to be able to earn his spot and earn his keep on an NFL team. And Hollins was a four-time captain on special teams. So you know he's got the ability to impact the third phase of the game. He was a a one-and-a-half-year starter for Larry Fedora and that shotgun spread offense. He lined up primarily to the far left of the formation. He did see some reps around the formation as well and saw some reps in the slot. But more often than not, he was on the far left. Using an effective jab step as well as a speed release to beat press coverage at the line of scrimmage. He's a long strider in the open field. He's got deceptive speed to get on top of DBs because when you look at him in person, you don't expect a guy who's 6'4", 220 to run as fast as he did. He ran 4'5 flat at the combine, and he looks faster than on tape. Honestly, he stumbled at the end of that 40-yard dash, and he got hurt at the combine. So when you look at his speed, he can really stretch the team vertically. Long strider in the open field, like I mentioned. He didn't do it consistently, but he flashed the ability to separate at the top of his route stem. He does a pretty good job on double moves as well, and he's not where he needs to be yet as a route runner, but I have full faith that he will improve there and reach his upside. He was their biggest deep threat whenever he was on the field the last two seasons. He made a ton of plays on vertical routes, and he did a very good job tracking the deep ball downfield. He's got late eyes, and I love that. He does not tip the corner when he's going to look back for the football, so you don't see him turning his head 10 yards downfield when he's running a 20, 25-yard vertical route. He's got the ability to look late for the football and find it, and that allows you, the the defensive back, to keep guessing, and now you're going to draw penalties. You're going to allow the corner to overrun and misplay the football. I think he's got those late eyes, and I love seeing that from receivers. He can track the ball through his eyelids, over his shoulder, had only two uncontested drops in the two years that I studied him. So Rarely put the football on the ground. He made some really tough catches away from his body, and I saw more of an ability to go up and attack the football in contested situations this year, even though it was on a small sample size. He may never be a true weapon on jump balls, but he does a good job there, and he's solid after the catch as well, where he wins more with effort. And that effort translates as well to him as a blocker where he's got the size to back it up. You can see he likes the physical part of the game, which makes sense considering his special teams background. That's where he has been a standout since his true freshman season. Again, his first year as a walk-on at North Carolina, he was a special teams captain, and that carried over 
not just as a sophomore, not just as a junior, but also as a senior captain. Uh, and, I, and I love seeing that from some of the best players on your team. When your best players are your best special teamers in college, that's a really good place to be. And obviously Larry Fedora felt the same way. So what are the negatives? Well, I mentioned he did miss a good chunk of the year. He's never played more than 50% of the offensive snaps in a season. I saw that stat on NFL.com, so you worry about that. He has go-to moves at the line of scrimmage, but he can still improve in press coverage. There are times where he'll fall step early in the down, and you do want to see him improve there. That can be coached up. He's a little bit linear athletically, meaning he's more of a straight-line athlete as opposed to a guy that can move laterally. Um, and that does show up at times at the top of his route, but Overall, I mean, in, when, in terms of the, the big improving points for Mac Hollins, he's got to get a little bit better against press coverage, he's got to stay healthy, and he's got to get better as a route runner. Outside of that, I think he, he may not project as a day one starter, but he's going to stick in this league for a long time because of his abilities on special teams and of his abilities as a blocker. Big kid, he can run. I mentioned the ball skills. I think right now, out of the box, he is a fourth wide receiver with room to grow as a route runner and as a, a, and beating press coverage. If he can do that, he's got room to grow into a potential number two receiver. I feel really good about his ability to make it in this league for a long time. So that's how I feel about Mac Hollins. Now, let's get to the next part of the show. I told you earlier that I caught up with Eagles defensive line coach Chris Wilson on Friday morning, the day after the team drafted Derek Barnett, to talk about why he saw Derek Barnett as a potential fit here in Philadelphia. Let's get to that now in Two Technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. All right, so this is from a segment from Eagles Draft Central, and you can go and you can find this on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and on the mobile app. So if you just go on, search for Chris Wilson or search for uh, Wilson breaking down Derek Barnett, and you'll see uh, th that whole breakdown segment at, at the whiteboard just breaking down uh, his film, breaking down Derek Barnett's film with, with Coach Chris Wilson, and it was a great segment. But I wanted to share a bite with you about what he saw from Barnett that would help him transition into the scheme and if there was a moment, a game, a play where he saw, you know what, this guy's a guy that I want in the first round of this draft. Well, the biggest thing that you notice about Derek when you look at a statistic is value is that he broke Reggie White's record at, at uh, Tennessee. And he also did it in a tremendous league like the SEC. So when you combine that with what I'd heard from the, the staff there and our people here in our organization of just a guy who starts as a true freshman and starts every game for the last three years. You know, he, he, to me, he had that kind of feel that most of our Philadelphia teams, tough, hard-nosed guy. And so that really got me excited about him. Coach, was there a game where you kind of go back and you said, you know what, this guy, he, he's kind of got something special when you did his, your study on him? Absolutely. Well, the, the biggest one you notice is when they, when they played Alabama. And uh, not only when they played Alabama, played Georgia, you know, having a chance to be in the SEC for a while and, and, and understand the week-to-week you know, struggle that it is in that league. Uh, in the biggest games, he played his best games. Was two sacks versus uh, Georgia to win the game. A couple of sacks versus Bama. Really impressive. In a, and he's doing it against pro football players. All right, great stuff from Greg Cosell, Chris Wilson, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. 
Thank you. And again, if you get the time, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Do not be afraid to leave a question on there too, because I would love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. We can go really deep on certain topics now from now until the start of training camp as things start to heat up. Now is the time where you can take some of these deep dives. So if you've got a topic that you really want to dive deep into, let me know and I'll try and set up an episode. We'll get a guest on and we'll talk it through. So if there's ever anything specific you want, just go. Leave us a comment, and that's the best way to do it. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen, Libsyn, anywhere. Just go and you shoot us a comment on there. Leave a five-star rating, and it'll get done. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy, and we will talk to you next week.